0: Welcome back to the Consequences podcast with Paul McNulty and Sean McCreevy.
1: Woke up this morning feeling fine. There's something special on my mind. Last night I met a new girl in the neighborhood. Well, yeah. Something to tell.
2: Welcome to the podcast everybody and uh, Sean and I are delighted to have Harvey Lisberg here with us today. Hi Harvey. Hi, uh, really uh, nice to see you Harvey. Um, I'm sure everybody listening to this podcast uh, knows um, about Harvey's history. Uh, his his uh, relationship with Tennessee goes back to 1965 or even 1964. Um, of course he was also the manager of Herman's Hermits in the 60s and sold I believe 40 million records uh, worldwide, No Mean Feet, and um, he took his group to meet Elvis Presley nine days before Brian Epstein took his group, uh, um, so another coup there, and uh, amongst other things he heard Neil Sedaka play the song Amarillo on the piano and placed it uh, with... Tony Christie, who Harvey managed and uh, inadvertently one thing led to another and that became the best-selling record of 2005 in the end when Peter Kay <laughs> took it up. Uh, he also managed uh, footballers, snooker players, most notably Jimmy White uh, in his pomp in the early 80s. My cousin is an absolute snooker nut so she would love to know about all that stuff but we may not have time because we've got so much to talk about 10cc related. Welcome to the, the podcast, Harvey. Thank you. Uh, Can we start with consequences? When did you first hear the word consequences? That's a very good question.
3: It was really just an album that was going to be done by Kevin Lowell in an experimental form um, while still in 10cc at the time. And uh, I can't pick an exact time when I heard about it, but uh, it was. Sometime, probably around about what seventy six or yeah. seventy six or sometime, and it was a great name, obviously, great, great name, and you... everything they did was, you you just didn't argue with their art or with their ideas of lyrics and
2: everything to do with them was perfection. So, the actual title was brilliant. The title, Consequences, and, and, and the concept of, of uh, nature and man versus nature, was were you aware of that early on, or was it something that sort of grew organically? I think
3: um, I can only ascribe that to Kevin Lowell, really. That was their thing. It was very, very clever mm. and uh, proved to be true 30 years later. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it was very prophetic and... Um, they were just, they were brilliant. They were always ahead of their time. Very avant-garde, always searching for new areas, new dimensions. And um, they obviously thought this out. And uh, it, musically, it fitted as well with the idea of the the, um, the weather and all the things that went with it. Yeah. It was really, really clever. Sure. Were you
0: party to any conversations at the time Harvey that this might split the band in two or, I
3: think, or did it, or was I think it that was a huge problem because the problem existed inside the band um, they were doing all this recording and um, they found well Kevin Lowell became well Kevin law always were inseparable from the 64 they were ever since I met them they were together and they were they were really charming very nice very talented yeah. and i think they felt that they were kind of being held back somehow mm. which they were in effect because if they had their way maybe consequences would have been the first 10cc album who knows mm. but graham and eric also had their pedigree their talent whether it's writing or whether it was producing the record. So there was kind of an artistic battle going on inside the studio, which I knew nothing about, except yes. I knew it existed. Mm-hmm. And I think in 76, Kevin Law thought, oh, we've had enough of this shit. Right, we're sick of being told what to do in the production. We want to do our own thing. We're going to have a, going to do it all ourselves. There are any kind of restrictions on us whatsoever. We're going to do our thing. And, against that. They didn't want to be, um, again, put the other boys at a disadvantage because they had created this 10cc, which is a hugely successful band. Great and it's brand. kind of s- s- selfish to suddenly say, okay, right, we're going to do our things, to hell with that, because they have a moral responsibility to keep it going. So they, it got to a dilemma stage where they decided Look, we're just going to have to leave. <laughs> I mean, you know, that was it. I mean, so that was obvious, that was going to happen. The consequences was they were fiddling around in the studio and doing whatever they wanted with the gizmo and all their other things, which wasn't 10cc. And that created a tension for the other two who want to get on with writing the songs and getting the albums done as the contract wanted them to do, etc. So there was this huge battle going on between wanting to do what you want artistically with a total freedom and no nonsense to hold you back. Yeah. And the others well, let's get on with the business because that's, right. that's what we're living off. But the others didn't care, <laughs> you know,
0: they, <laughs> they didn't. And that's fair enough. Yes, like, almost like Eric and Graham are being the responsible adults.
3: In a way, yes. Yeah. But... Yeah, but at what at what cost? It's an artistic cost. Yeah. Is it art for art's sake? Yeah, you know, that's a, the that whole tension,
0: isn't there? That's is exactly the
3: it. You know, yeah. and I think for longevity, probably the artistic side is the one that would probably have stayed more. Mm. I mean the fact you're talking about consequences today, yeah. and nobody was talking about it in seventy seven. Because <laughs> it was a three three album no way, yeah, you know, yeah. self indulgent, whatever they called it, you know. It was just but now all of a sudden mm. Oh, that's quite interesting. Yeah, well have a listen to that. Now that was interesting. That was not at the time, and now thirty years <laughs> later, you're just trying to discover it.
2: Yeah. There were some great songs on the, there, though. I remember you telling me, Harvey, one of the times we spoke previously, you heard Honolulu Lulu oh and, and thought God. that's going to be a hit. Is that right?
3: Oh, no, it was, no it's not. It's, that wasn't the point. Okay. The point was they were recording and recording and recording and recording. And I said, how about a single, you know? <laughs> it's a horror story to Kevin lot. How about something we can put out in a, you know, to before the album? Right. And they're thinking, and they're thinking to themselves, and, well, well, we've got this little thing here, we'll, we'll play it to you, and then they played it. Uh, Aloha, I'm Honolulu Lulu from Hawaii. I saw you from the corner of my eye, which was 17 seconds, and I thought, that's it. We could have had, a single. You know. That's no. That's what that was done.
2: Yeah. Oh, but thanks.
3: obviously, in my stupid mind, yeah. it was going to be developed right. and put into a, a form where it can be put out as a single. Yeah. Right. But not so. No. You know, yeah. not, all that happened was a mass of music going afterwards, and the only part of the song that was ever commercial was 17 seconds. <laughs> And that, believe me, if they had done that, that would have been a hit. It had a genius so. in the lyric. Mm. It was catchy and it was funny, and it was it was real ten, you know, ten CC at its best. You yes. know what I mean? And what a shame! And that was my story about that. <laughs>
0: mm. um, we we're reading in Kev's book. Uh, is it, I wonder if it's it's true. The story. Uh, where you and Rick, I think, go into the studio and Kevin Lowell lock you in the control room with the volume turned up to 11, and they play you perhaps side one of the record. You come out kind of with a glazed expression as if you've been sandblasted, raving about it. But unbeknownst to you, they've left the mic on in the studio. That's And, and they're hearing you and Rick saying, what on earth is going on here? Is that in any way true? Or is that... Oh, careful? it sounds I'm likely. It sounds yeah. likely. Do you, remember, do you remember the first time you kind of heard a big chunk of Consequences?
3: I didn't understand it. <laughs> but Who one, does? No, but I didn't understand that. Because let's face it, that was music. That wasn't interdispersed with Peter Cook or anybody else. That was just an orchestral thing. Yeah. And I believe what. Whatever Kev said, I'm sure it's true. Mm. I'm sure it's true. I mean, I wouldn't. I'm sure we must have been in a state of shock.
2: Yeah. Right. Right.
3: Not having heard anything, and going to a half an album, <laughs> and you and you hear, and you're thinking, how can we sell that? What? Where is that going? Where is that going to take us?
1: <laughs>
3: and um, I don't know. It, it, Look, it's easy to look back at whatever you did wrong, or you didn't do wrong, but Mm. I always wanted a single album. I just didn't care. I didn't want to make it complicated from a marketing point of view. With the band had split, 10cc had got got away again and it was good. And here, if you want consequences Kevin Law to happen, just put an album out. Don't give a triple album and all the problems. It was just a shame, really. But um, they enjoyed making it, I'll tell you that.
2: Yes, yeah,
3: it's been 18 18
0: months making it. Ken Malifant was telling us some very funny stories about the launch in Amsterdam. Oh, my God. Did you go along to that? Oh, I did indeed. Tell us about it.
3: Uh, Well, it it was done in a small church. It was done on the 17th. Day, 17th hour, 17th minute. 17 was the thing that had to be <laughs> followed right to the T. And they got all these people from every country, every representative of phonogram, everybody was sitting there, the poor buggers, all sitting in this cathedral. And then these huge speakers were there, and bang! <acquitted>. Okay, so you thought I was in a of shop, but I didn't have to sell it in Tokyo or anywhere else. <laughs> These people, they must, look, must have been looked like a Hammer House of Horace movie <laughs> where they're all they're, after about 20 minutes and 30 minutes is going on and on and on. And I, and I just, I the humor in that was, I just thought that was hysterical. It was so beautifully done. I mean, You can't imagine the taste in the the hotel and the church and the food, and you know, phonogram could lay on a feast. Right. By God, it was incredible. Right. The only thing missing was, was, again, no hit, really, or anything that, anything that gave these poor people that they come all around the world a glimmer of hope that they might be able to sell something. <laughs> they were confronted with their problems, like a Chinese puzzle. Yeah. How
0: do you sell this? What yeah. do you do? It's got three quarters of an hour of some comedian
2: yeah.
0: uh, banging on. <laughs> I mean, that, it, it's a very hard sell, and at
2: twelve quid a throw as well. I oh, was that all it was. I, thought it was I more. think it was eleven, wasn't it? In the end, oh. but I think Ken uh, Ken was devised the packaging. He said he wanted to market it like a classical piece of music, mm. and in, a, in a la- an elaborate box, and so on and so. Ken Maliphant
3: was a great MD,
2: right? Yeah,
3: really good. Very supportive, wasn't he? Oh, fantastic! Yeah. So was T- and Tony Morris. I mean, we were lucky I had two. Fantastic. MDs that helped everything through everywhere, but uh, I felt Cam was a victim of the product, you know.
2: Mm. That press launch, speaking about it in a humorous way, but it must have dawned on Kevin Lowell, either then, or if not before, that this was gonna be a difficult period ahead, and was it gonna be a success? It must have hurt them I, when it wasn't. I'm not sure, I think, they probably would have been surprised by 10cc
3: success because they didn't respect the product particularly, which one could argue well, was it as good as the earlier stuff, or, or didn't have the quirkiness, and certainly had a yeah. lot missing yeah. mm-hmm. from it as a, as a total package. Mm-hmm. But And then they put their stuff out, which was way too far out. Hmm. I mean there was no way. I mean there was nothing just they weren't going on the road selling it or anything. I mean yeah. you know, things like Pink Floyd and people like that, they they went out and They were gigging it, they weren't did they did the work. Yeah. They had the grassroots following and then they could they could have put out consequences and everybody yeah. led Zeppelin or any of that lot that weren't round working and working. You could sell it. But here, cold you're selling an album, it's not easy.
2: Yeah, it's it's his theatrical piece really. So as a as a theatre piece and I know a theatre Production of it was mooted. That would have been a way in for it to gain some traction, I think. But yeah. For whatever reason. Or I a think. film.
0: I mean, we were talking the other day, weren't we? I mean, it could, it could if Kevin Lollard film. Yeah. Uh, perhaps taken the time machine a few years in the future, got their cameras, brought them back to seventy-seven, they could have made a really nifty film, mm. and that that could have sold it.
2: Well, it has the vi- It's. Uh, Lowell called it a movie for the blind. Didn't he? It, yeah. Yeah. you heard that phrase because That's, because it, it is it's got such a visual element to them, which was a thread. Atmosphere. Them. Yeah, incredible. Incredible. Yeah. Just going back to Peter Cook, Harvey. Um, do you know how he was involved in the project? Was it was it you? Did you get him on board? Um, I, I can't remember. All I know is permanently drunk. Yeah.
3: <laughs> it could have been nine o'clock in the morning. Right. I never met him sober.
2: Right, so okay. I can
3: say. He was an immensely funny guy. Yeah. yeah. And really nice. Right. Very affable. And uh, I mean, I love that joke about the war. I think that was just that's a brilliant. I mean because I'm a gambler, that was just a, I just laughed my head off at that. <laughs>
2: oh yeah, but he's on
0: the phone to
3: Landrook.
2: No, 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 he's Pepperman father making a killing in the, oh, in yeah, the Second yeah, World yeah, yeah. War. He yeah. backed
3: Germany to win. <laughs> I mean, but it, the thing about that is, it's the genius of knowing the gambler's mind. Right. Because they'll bet on anything. I would bet on anything. Right. But the thing, his father backed Germany in the Second World War. I mean, it's total. I mean, he was a genius, he really was, and he was a very nice guy, and I don't know how they got him or they didn't get him. I would think they got him, met him in London or something. Mm. He -hmm. was very good. My father made a killing on the Titanic. Fantastic odds.
1: And I got ten to one
3: on Korea for a tie. Very, very tasty, that. They all trottled off to the manor. Yeah. yeah. So we went down, we stayed overnight and had all these women serving breakfast and God knows why. It was like a... It was a holiday camera. <laughs> and, and possibly that's why it took yeah. 18 months. It might not have just been the music. It might have been the environment and very, very nice form of living in Oxfordshire. Awesome. Very nice. What
0: was it like in the studio? Was it pandemonium?
3: Yeah, it was all... It was... I don't think I should
0: <laughs> relate a lot of
3: it. It <laughs> 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 left a lot to be decided. what you would call normal living. But, uh, yeah, they're all out of their mind. Pizza <laughs> <laughs> Peter Cook was always drunk. I mean, you know, it wasn't, yeah. nobody was kind of sober in any form, really. No, I know
0: Kevin Lowell was smoking a lot, weren't they? Yeah, it's
2: ama- but artistically it is focused. I yeah. mean, uh, you know, smoking has, you, I suppose, gives you a different well, kind of focus. Probably, I mean,
3: I knew, I didn't I wasn't involved in any of that, yeah, right. uh, which is not a regret of mine, but it, I certainly missed out on all their little innuendos and whatever was going on. I mean, they were in a different world, but that didn't really matter to me. I just had my world, and I was, that was okay. But all the Beatles and everybody was involved in this drug culture, mm-hmm. which I found terribly boring, because I thought, you've got to rely on that. Yeah. and that, But the world today is even worse.
1: Yeah.
3: I mean, it's a huge problem out there it's frightening that people they just can't cope with life can they no
0: that's right we were fascinated harvey to read about what was happening behind the scenes uh with uh, eric being asked to go up to manchester for a meeting when the other three decided they didn't want to work with him
3: anymore well this was what i was saying before i think well, what happened originally, I think Kevin Law with fed up of being told how t- to have a production. Mm. Not so much Graham, I don't think, because Graham wasn't controlling the the uh, keyboard. And I'm only surmising this from the outside, I was not in that studio. No. But from what I could remember, they resented the fact that they, they their work was being produced a certain way they wanted the freedom to do it their way instead of having to argue every minute so obviously they they pinpointed eric from their point of view they want to get away from that graham was stuck in the middle of the deep blue sea and i i think you know i I think graham was in an impossible position because kevin Lowell definitely wanted to leave and the question was, did they carry on as 10cc with the three of them? How does it work? But the reality is, Kevin wanted to do their thing, they wanted to do consequences, and they, they wanted to just be free. Life, still life. Life, still life. Whereas Graham would have also been controlling them to a degree, probably in a same where there would have been a single album if he'd have been in it whether it was 10cc or not 10cc. He just pulled
0: it back towards the commercial. Yeah, well he didn't put it in
3: one album as opposed to three. The music might have been almost identical, but he would have been able to say, look chaps, you've got to be, there was no control. I I couldn't, I never told them what's in the studio. The record company, they just tell them to get lost, you know, and they they were on a roll. And they enjoy it, they were enjoying themselves. Nothing would stop them, would it? No, that's right. It was total freedom. Yeah.
2: I suppose that was the downside. We've often talked about the positive thing of being in a, a, a discreet environment with Eric doing all the engineering. Mm. But the downside is, because he was the engineer, that everything had to go through him. They didn't have an outside person. Well, authority. it's the same when you do a programme, as you know. Mm. If you're the editor, <laughs>
3: and you can take out the line you don't like. Exactly, right? and you just so you're God, aren't you? <clears throat> you yeah. are God. Yeah, yeah. In the studio, I mean, I've done it myself. I did a, I did a program, I did an hour video for my wife's fiftieth birthday, and. Um, the people came out with remarks I really didn't like you know oh it's all right for you you're lying in palm springs doing nothing <laughs> <laughs> you know so when they see themselves they're they're about one second yeah, yeah. You, so you just you're <clears throat> in complete control Crazy days. And, and I'm sure Eric was in complete control musically in that he could mess around with those boards Yeah, and there it, I mean it, he is in control and that's but
0: <laughs> is that part of his personality as well is he quite regimental is he quite controlling would you say or no I don't, I, I
3: don't think so I, I, I think he was uh, he had a hard job then. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, it wasn't very creative. It wasn't. It wasn't exactly well. This is easy. We'll just do this, you know. I think there must have been a lot of battles going on in there. But I mean, I think Eric was very, uh, very talented in his own mm. right, and he probably and he, he's opinionated. And uh, no, I think. It's just one of those things. You've got four people with very strong personalities and, you know, it was kind of the battle made 10cc as it was. The old 10cc was a fusion. Yeah. And and that was with Eric doing that, with Kevin Law doing that, and with Graham doing that.
0: Yeah, but you had that wonderful chemical reaction. And they
3: they all got together in this... And it came out on record, and that was their talent. They also blew it by not putting that effort into into stage and visuality and anything else that might have helped the poor Ken malefats of this world to sell a few records. That's right. Rather than complain afterwards that the record company are crap, which is probably, you know, (coughs) it's just worth thinking about. I think artists get very into themselves and they get very... um, you know, they get very um, inflated egos and everything, and then you can't say anything.
1: Run and
3: roll. Uh, so here you probably have four egos working against each other to a degree. I don't know, but it's, um, at the time, it's very easy to lay blame on this person or that person, but it was just life, that's what happens. Yeah. You know, you would never believe what could happen. You know, whether they don't talk now, or they do talk now, or people fall out after
2: God knows how long. It's incredible. Yeah, that that is sad, but I mean it, it
3: happens. It happens It happens in, all in, in normal life. Relationships. Yeah, of
2: course it does. Yeah, yeah it happens in family and tends to see were at least for a brief time as close as a family, wasn't And right.
0: when you're thrown together you know, forever, you know, if you've You're kind of locked into that 10cc brand. You're
2: You're kind of carrying
0: the the other person around like baggage. And you
3: start from the beginning. You know, you're starting when you're nothing. Mm. And so that is the best time of the lot, in my opinion. You know, before they've had a hit was the best time. And they did Neanderthal Man, and that was just a hit. And that was, whoa! (laughs) You know, what a feeling that in your own studio they developed a hit and it was worldwide smash. I mean, that is just magic. Mm. And then they go on to the next one, and then rubber bullets, and it was the, the feeling was euphoria. There was so much
0: action in the studio, wasn't there? I mean yeah. they, were, they had a million. I've got uh, the the strawberry CD over there, and it's just amazing those kind of pen names that they they had together. I mean, that must have been such an exciting time, Harvey.
3: It was. It was really. It really was.
0: That's Tell good. us about some of those tunes that you remember.
3: salsalito was written by Graham. His father did this fantastic lyric to it. It was great, great lyric. And Graham did this fantastic rhythmic opening riff
2: on the guitar, which we
3: use in about 10 different tracks. Uh, you have used long.
2: that in Shearer, Shearer, did We didn't I used I, yeah. it in Shearer, Shearer. <laughs> yeah, I spotted that. And then,
3: <coughs> and then when City and United did the double in yeah. 2011, uh, I thought, well, 10cc should put they had all this success with football records. Let's do a football record. We, I got this song, which was a Lord Kitchener song, the Calypso, and um, changed the lyrics. Went down to do it with them, and they did it. And of course, we used Graham's riff again, because yeah. it was very Calypso, <laughs> and it worked beautifully again. Yes. And they, <laughs> they, they, they badged they you into singing it, they? they, they said, we're not going to sing this. Yeah, yeah. I said, oh, you've got to do it. Got, I can't even sing. It's irrel- This is a nonsense. So from having no chance, it had zero minus 50 oh, I chance. Think, I, <laughs>
2: I think you're being overly modest no, It sounds great to me. No, I'm, sure, think, I'm sure we'll I, dig out a clip of that yeah, one. i tell oh, you definitely. what,
3: that was really good record. I mean, the rhythm and everything yeah. was oh, 10 yeah, It was miraculous. great. And it had the source feature, so that's mm-hmm. what I referenced that. The side and the sound Bishop it, wish it bit Magic's all round
1: John Stone and Tommy Taylor. Hooray, Three chairs
3: for the city of Manchester. The Red Storm is so incredibly great. Nineteen league titles have been won to date For Liverpool are left in the grip of fear With Arsenal and Chelsea bringing up the rear With players and managers What a team from Sir Matt to Sir Alex We've had the cream when speaking of good football They can never beat Manchester at all Hooray! Rio Naniyevra Rain, for the city
0: and of course that, that kind of um, the calypso reggae thing comes out again and yeah. again doesn't it, it does
3: espe- and I, especially with Eric Yeah. I mean Margot right. passed the Mustard and right. I mean there's lots of yeah. obscure tracks Eric was very good at that yes
1: Margot wants the Mustard yeah she needs a little
2: Go back to to Jaime Goldman. Yeah. You mentioned there that he wrote some lyrics for Sorcerito, and I know he wrote the opening couplets for Bus Stop. Was he really deeply involved as a lyric writer? Did they actually sit down and work together?
3: Graham yes. Yes. wrote the song. Right. Jaime wrote the lyrics.
2: Yes, the lyrics in so. lots
3: of the songs. Yeah, yeah. He was just absolutely key to Behind the Door. Uh, East West. I
2: love that song Behind the Door. Behind the Door's magnificent. I think yeah. it's a masterpiece. Magnificent. Yeah. Of every
3: house and every street. Yeah. The
2: the, the those lyrics really totally They have a real maturity to them. When well, it, it was an elder man, wasn't well, that was, <laughs> Now that's very interesting because it unlocks some of the what's happening here because I how I was thinking how could Lyrics of those maturity be written by a young man, but it now works. I see the right, okay, okay.
1: Of hopes and fears, and smiles and tears, of dreams that lamb
3: over the he wrote us, uh, I've got it here somewhere, uh, I've got. Um, a poem of his about Graham.
2: Oh, I've got it right here, actually. Uh Is that Cliff and the Boy? Yes, isn't it lovely? It was published on a on a cc website.
0: Would you mind reading some of it for yes. us, Bobby?
3: please. We all have heroes to worship from afar. My son had one when he was just 10. His name was Cliff, Cliff Richard, the pop star. And when his idol came to town to give a concert at the Free Trade Hall, he plagued and pestered me for the wherewithal to buy a ticket so that he could see his hero in flesh and blood. Now, I tended to be iconoclastic and preferred the sound of Brighouse and Rustrick, <laughs> but I couldn't deny him this pleasure to enjoy, reminding him that I too was once a boy. A friend on the staff stood in loco parentis in case all those fans went non-compos mentis. After the concert, I collected the boy who'd come under a spell Cliff and the shadows had done their work well. The magic of music had entered his soul. A slave to the god of rock and roll. Can't be a star without a guitar. Get one Spanish style. Learn the dots at college. Waste of time and knowledge. The whole year wants to play by ear on a solid guitar. All right then. Five pounds down and a pound a week. From Stock and Chapman, second hand. Just to be like Cliff and Hank and the boys in the band. Years rolled on, illusions gone, the boys form a group and play in dives and pubs and working men's clubs, night rides in clapped out vans, bringing music to the masses, playing second fiddle to bingo and pork pies, (laughs) staple diet for Lancashire lads and lasses. Why play someone else's songs? Try to write one's own. Well, this kid, that's what he did. But it's hard to make it alone. Enter an agent with all the right connections to plug it around in all directions. Success, writes so a hit into the chart it goes. Watch it climb up and up and up. It reaches the top, as do many more. Then come the prizes, gold and silver disc lore.
2: Was it Cliff who opened the door? Yes. That's wonderful. And, and I presume you are immortalised as the agent there. Right? Yeah. <laughs> How
0: did you and Graham first bump into each
2: other?
0: Um, we're going back uh, a long time, aren't we, there? Yeah,
3: so it's really ages. That... Well, I, I saw him at the. Um, he was in a band, uh, The Whirlwinds, who were very popular. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was a young guy. who liked music and I liked the band. And I got to. Um, see him at the JLB club, practising, and they were just a great band just, I just loved the music.
1: No,
3: baby, that's you. I, I wanted to manage that band, but I couldn't, because they had a manager and I wasn't involved in music. I don't think at that time. Were
0: you all already in some, some sports management
3: at that no, time? No, nothing. I was yeah? just articles as an accountant. Okay. Boring. Uh, really boring. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe not, I don't know. No, actually, it depends how far back I go. Um, it's difficult to, to work out the time because it's like five years' spell. Sure. But um, yeah, I met Graham was about 15 when I met him, I think, properly. Yeah. I knew of him and had several of him and everything yeah. and, um, and that's when it began. Um, I managed, I wanted to manage him but I couldn't. Um, so um, I got my own, I was writing songs myself, a lot, a lot of my idea was, I was bored of being an accountant, I wanted to write songs and I... And I uh, heard the Beatles, of course, and they were having fantastic success. Right, I'm gonna do this. So, my son, myself, and my friend we used to write loads of crappy songs at the time, but they sound alright now, funnily enough. Your hand in mine, I know I'll never be blue. Show
1: me the sign.
3: But at the time they didn't sound very good Um, and I decided nobody would take any notice of them so right, I'll get my own band so I got my own band and it was Hermans and the Hermits that was the first band I ever had so I I came successful with Herman. I'm digressing a little bit but as a successful manager then I then went back to Graham and wanted to manage him or whatever and I came with the idea well why don't you just write songs and forget about the uh, bands because we've done a lot of work with bands we've been in the mocking we, we formed bands and we did all sorts of things trying to get his material placed and everything and it nothing worked everything failed he put a track out originally with the whirlwinds which didn't happen and, and then we started um, we started together and uh, I was writing songs with him and encouraging him to get very involved in the musical side of things. Mm. Whereas well, managers were always regarded as, oh, there's the fat cigars that take all the money and screw the band into the ground and the band are poor and the managers are rich yeah not true but <laughs> the managers can be poor as well no i mean
0: this I mean, <coughs> sounds like you were really hands on with Nurture. but
3: i really was involved in the structure of lots of the music and in particular i mean things like for your love when it changed rhythm and everything I would say, well, why don't you try something different, or, you know, mm. and, and then we'd take songs that he'd written and put them in other songs. Mm. We did things like that, and a pot of Evil-Hearted You was used in a Schoolgirl later on. I mean, we just chopped and changed. I was totally au okay fait with the musical side of things. thing. used to come out to the house every day, and, uh, you know, that's, that's what it, that
2: was our relationship was then for your love was the breakthrough of course is it true that you tried to place it with the beatles absolutely okay uh, that takes some some confidence uh, i mean they were doing okay in the songwriting (laughs) department they were (laughs) but there's this is a look first of all um people
3: you know people think then I'm mad, that's fi- fair enough, you know, because <laughs> without being slightly mad, you wouldn't try and sell home and You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It took me 15 months of rejection to get anywhere. Right. So yeah. I did do crazy things, but um, I didn't think this was that crazy. I heard the song and I thought, that song, first of all, the song was, Derivative from How's the Rising Sun, little change in the last chord, which mm-hmm. was brilliant. Mm-hmm. And then Graham did his stuff, and the lyrics were all again. I think Jaime's lyrics, uh, "Give the world if it were mine to give," and all that sound is more like. I don't know. I okay. Pre- okay. Presumably that was Jaime, but anyhow, the, the song was there in my ears, which I thought were very good. I'm not trying to be big-headed, but I think I knew a hit, yeah. and I thought this is more than a bloody hit. This is a number one.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: So if we send that to the Beatles, why, why, wouldn't, why wouldn't they listen to it, you know, naively? And I said to Graham, well, they've done Chains and they've done other covers on the first album, four covers yeah. of other people's songs, so why not? And uh, Graham thought, well, you're crazy, it's insane, <laughs> they're not, not going to do it. So we did it with Graham and the Mockingbirds, and we took it to our, our EMI and they rejected it. Right. And now I think, they're all all bloody mad, these people. So I still wasn't going to give up on the Beatles. So I sent it to Ronnie Beck, copy of it, and then I met Ronnie Beck at the Beatles show at Hammersmith, the intention being to take it to the Beatles. And uh, (laughs) Ronnie Beck thought I was mad as well. Everybody thought I was mad. Uh, All I can say is if the Beatles had done it, I think it would be one of their biggest records. So that's all I can say in my (laughs) defense. Um, And the Beatles did do cover versions afterwards. They did two covers of songs. Oh, Graham's argument was, well, every song they'd covered was a hit. They hadn't covered unknown people's material, which to that stage was true. But then they did Till There Was You, and they did a song from the Rocky Horror Show or something else, which wasn't a hit. So Mm. even that
2: was dispelled. Some, uh, some of their covers were actually quite obscure. That You know, that, that I think that, yeah. that you do have an argument there because, um, you know, some of the, they weren't necessarily picking big hits to cover. Some of their material that they covered wasn't. They were so great, The Beatles.
3: They could do anything. They mm. could fart on the record. It wouldn't matter. <laughs> but it would yeah. be brilliant, really wouldn't it? matter. Yeah. yeah, They were yeah. so far ahead of everybody else. Everybody in the music
2: world today say thank you to The Beatles. Of course. Because they were right. just,
3: Absolutely
2: incredible. Just breaking the so, Sorry, right I uh, interrupted you. Please tell us how you got to the Yardbirds and how they... Right, so to... this uh,
3: the Yardbirds were the opening act for the Beatles at ah, Hammersmith yeah, right. oh, okay. on a Christmas show. Right. And Ronnie Beck's sitting behind me and he says... Do you, do you mind if I play it to the audience? No, forget that, we're getting this to the Beatles. <laughs> so can I at least just leave them a You know, was like, it was fleeting with me, like it was so great, it was great. Like, this lunatic was trying to get the, do the impossible. <laughs> well, I, maybe, because as a publisher, I might be able to get them to do it, you know. And the Yardbirds weren't anything then; they were just a band that hadn't had any hits. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. They were just an opening act. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, we took it. Giorgio Gomels, oh gosh, he just loved it. He just, that was it. Very Number one. That must
0: have felt great for you, you know. Sort of that, well, it was great. Were, it was great because it
3: so, we'd started. That was Graham's first song. Really, hey, Graham had written about three songs before that. One I think was called. Um, uh, that's how it's going to stay i think that was the that's one a of really good track that was the brilliant. first single Mocking for Birds. the mockingbirds wasn't brilliant it track. love that song yeah. brilliant track yeah. just a great riff mm. great great pop record yeah
1: let me tell you about me.
3: What can you do? I mean, you know, it was just fabulous. And and, um, then the second thing that happened was, I got, we had to get a song for Herman's Hermits in a film. And so we we did Listen People, Graham did Listen People, Mm. which I think might have been more his lyric. I don't know, it might be totally his, that one.
2: Okay, I'm
3: not sure. I'm not sure. I mean, that was really... and that was a beautiful song. It was huge in America. Everybody's
1: got to love somebody sometime Everybody's got to win a heart Everybody's got to love somebody sometime When you do, I hope you never pause
2: Yes, was, it wasn't just, a hit here, but it was a massive It wasn't released in America. Oh, well, I beg your pardon. Never problem. released. Top, so, but top three hit in America. Two, I think, yeah. And, okay, uh, right. Which is amazing. Yeah. Which, you know, you don't knock that. No. Um, no, that's really good. And then the wonderful East-West, which is a fantastic Morrissey song. did a good version of that. Yeah, he changed the lyrics for some yeah, reason. he did. He almost couldn't bear to be as straightforward about his kind of affection for his family. He changed it to be a bit darker or something, mm. didn't he? I, I much, think it was good. I mean, I think... And I
3: think people should be able to do that.
2: You know, it's... Um, well, they clearly are, I suppose. I,
3: well, no, but... Technically I suppose they've got to get the writer's permission and everything, but um, it depends on the standard of the record. I mean Morris's version of East West is a bloody good version of the song, you know what I mean? Mm. Well, I, I need to I need to check that out. It I stands up on its own.
0: Yeah.
1: Life, this must this joins. everything
2: classy, nothing is tacky Really is very good. Graham having all these hits as a writer, but being unable to sort of get a hit for his own band, I suppose. Yeah. And so he. he Going back to your original, this one was Peter Carp, who we loved.
3: Uh, He died very young, but he was fantastic. He did Crickets, which was a great song.
2: Yeah, that's a good one.
3: There's a tropical sound, you can hear the
1: crickets calling, calling.
3: Um, Tampa, Florida was like a rock and roll song. Susan's tuba was a funny one. <laughs> yeah, And that was a hit in France with Graham's voice on. What was it? It was a demo. Oh,
0: and was, f- was that his first it, hit it was
3: a- as a singer then? No, he wasn't a singer. It was out as Freddie and the Dreamers. Right. Yeah. And we heard it and we thought that's Graham's voice. on. <laughs>
1: Hey, 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 hey,
2: hey. Alright, so they never bothered to replace it with one of that Well, nobody that knew that it was man. in yeah.
3: France, it was never released <laughs> uh, anywhere else. Really. It was a massive hit. Yeah. So that was that one. um Dr. Fad Umbopo. Oh, what a great yeah. record. Well, I, I love, love that. that. Well, I started with Kevin Lowell way back about sixty three or sixty four. I always loved their music. They wrote phenomenal stuff. Totally uncommercial. But amazing stuff. And Umbopa was I know, that was just um that was that was a classic song. I know and they recorded it twice yeah. actually. Yeah. yeah. And so
2: they obviously really had some some belief behind it and thought it could possibly be a hit. I yeah, I think it was
3: been. a it was a great track. It really was. Crazy. Yeah,
0: I think it's the last track on that CD. Crazy Elephant, and it's released some... under a different name, Doctor as well, I think. Father.
2: Yeah, it, one of them is slower, and yeah. some verse is taken out, but it's got a brilliant atmosphere. It, it really had hard. the
3: atmosphere of like the Beatles, um, the end of the Beatles, Abbey Road. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. got that kind of feel. That song is classic. Yes, yeah. it should be. Rainbow. Manchester City, Boys in Blue, well, we did did lots of football songs. We did Everton, uh, Boys in Blue, Wicked Melinda was it,
2: Peter Carp again.
3: Willie Morgan, that's it, Willie Morgan on the
2: wing. Yes, that's a good one. And here's, I think, Festival, which um, was the band name for Today. That's another gorgeous song. song. Yeah, it's a good song.
3: It's all these songs. um, The Catholic... Graham and I managed Kevin Lowell. Well, we, didn't, we published their stuff, but we kind of managed them. Mm-hmm. We, Graham and I had a publishing company together called You. Mm-hmm. and we had all Kevin Lowell's material on it, so these things like on Unbopo and all, all that were in, in that. Unfortunately, we sold the company later on. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, that was, that, that was... These are all interesting tracks, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: The Boys in Blue was very good. Yeah, they played that right up until... Well, they played it up to the end of the main road era, and I think they're still playing it. Yeah, no, that's no, amazing. Isn't isn't that? Yeah. That it's a great really track. And, and I like track. the B-side as well. From City. Which found its way into Consequences. <laughs> it did, yeah. Please, please, please. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, or one of the riffs. Did. Yeah. I was going to ask you, Harvey, if I may, the, the fact that 10cc's first hit was with Donna, whereas they were also shortly before that Plugging Waterfall, which was a completely different sort of record... Do you think the fact that their the hit was Donna sort of sent them off in a different tra- trajectory in that towards inverted commas novelty songs something really left field, whereas a, a a song like Waterfall, which I think would have been a worthy hit as well, would have been a more kind of a, a completely different approach for them. Well, yeah, I, I did like Waterfall myself. Okay, I mean, right, they
3: okay. all loved it. Yeah, I mean, right. they all, they really. I mean, Eric and Graham were convinced that, that was their number one hit. Donna was like the Beatles track, "Oh Darling." Yeah, you know, reminiscent was, uh, for the first few notes. Sort of, like, feel of it, you know. Yeah. but and it was quirky and peculiar. And like I say, you can't you can't uh, forecast what the British public are going right. to like. No. No. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, and Jonathan King, his genius was to pick that. Yeah. Yes, because right. not many people would have done. Yeah, because they'd he... all done "Waterfall" or anything else except. Waterfall was rejected, you know, so it was played. I'm sure we tried to place Waterfall, or mm-hmm. they tried to play this Waterfall with every record company that came in. That <laughs> morning, and yeah. that didn't work. They got close with Apple, didn't they? Uh, On that one. Believe They're so.
0: interested. But think... it's...
3: Yeah, but that's the, that's the terrible thing. Mm. You know, I, I mean, I had an artist last year, a really good track, and they took the artist down, they went down, they took in the studio, yeah, this is where you're gonna be recording, da, da 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 and the girl comes back to Manchester U for it. great, you know, not yeah. even a call.
2: Mm. That's, that's, I mean, that's it's astonishing, so it?
3: bad, yeah. the business today sucks. I mean, they've got no respect for the artist or anything, these poor kids, are killing themselves, to yeah, and the record company who are incapable of making any artistic decision unless there's five million streams and a dumbo could put that out. Yep. They won't take any risks. And they don't do anything to help to create the music. Therefore the music might not be quite as good as it used to be when things like taking a chance. Exactly. Mattered.
2: Where
0: originality was kind of yes. cherished. It's all gone
2: it? down to the lowest common denominator, isn't it? It's a sausage
3: machine factory. Exactly won't be down for long nah, never down for long Told
1: them I won't be down for
2: long nah, never down for long Harvey, I'd like to ask you about Queen um, I know that you and Peter Grant launched a bid to take over the management of Queen in the mid-70s and, and if you could talk about that please and also how, how you think uh, Queen may have been influenced musically by 10CC um yes
3: um I'll, I'll answer the first part of your question first so i met peter grant in new york i was very friendly with always peter ever since the mickey most days because he worked in the same office as <laughs> mickey most um and um he had the Vaude- new vaudeville band <laughs> really <laughs> okay <laughs> oh, Lordy, oh, no. <laughs> And uh, I I met him in New York. And Queen were looking for management. They were almost advertising, but they were certainly interviewing people that would like to manage them. So I said to Peter Grant, like you managed Led Zeppelin, I managed 10cc. They can't possibly refuse us if we join together and put a bid in to manage them. And um, I. Inwardly, I thought, well, I'm going to have bloody problems with 10cc if I did manage Queen. It was a problem, mm. but I thought um, I thought Queen were fantastic. I mean, they were what 10cc weren't on stage, yeah. mm. but they are the greatest showman in the world in their defence. Mm. We didn't. I mean, you know, yeah. it was, Freddie Mercury was extraordinary. And I saw him the first time when he was 15, and I was in Kensington Antique Market, and this was there helping serve some, uh, hanging around the market and I said, who's that guy with? He had painted nails, full eye makeup and white face and this nail varnish and pink or whatever it was and chains all over him. And I'm like, the hell's that? And they said, oh, he's 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 in some group or something. I don't know. And later on it turned out it was Freddie. So Freddie was always Freddie. He hadn't. <laughs> that was amazing.
1: They call me Mad the Swine. I guess I'm Matt the swine. I've come to save you. Save you. Mad the Swine. Mad the Swine. So, how you people gather around? Hold out your hands and praise the Lord.
3: Anyhow, so Peter Browns and I, we went to the office. We met Queen. Before I met them, I got friendly with some of them and uh, basically because I managed to get Wimbledon tickets and one of them was very keen on Wimbledon and we used to get them tickets and they knew me. I went to the meeting with the four members of Queen, Peter Grant, myself and Jim Beach, who was then the accountant of Queen. That's all there was in the room. And I didn't even think we had to think. We just had to say, look, we'd like to manage you. And they would say, great. And we'd walk out of the room. Anyhow. That didn't happen, and they appointed John Reed. He was kicked out two years later. So, obviously, that wasn't a success. Queen related the story, that they didn't do it because Peter wanted them to go on Swan Song, which was his label in America, yeah, Yeah, just started. I'm not sure, well, if that were the case, I didn't know about it. So, Mm -hmm. and I was very close with Peter, and I'm sure, that wasn't a deciding factor. Yeah, I'm sure he would have loved them to go on, but if they'd have stayed on Atlantic or another label, we could have still managed them. They would have, they would have happened either way. And uh, that's the story of Queen. And uh, mm. I was semi relieved because it would have been a real problem for me with 10 Seasons. Bit of a conflict. That would have been a huge problem. Yeah. Um, but they were so good, it was worth going for it. And um, then, as far as the music is concerned, there's well, there's two similarities. First of all, the idea of the long track. Now, I don't know which came first, Bohemian Rhapsody. I think probably
2: came before or after. No, Paris. No, well, Paris the, came first.
0: Yeah, although bits of Bohemian Rhapsody were. No, I mean
2: in... I'm not in love. Oh, oh I see. Oh, okay. Uh,
0: I'm not in love with
2: '75.
0: Yeah. They they recorded it mainly in '74, didn't
2: they? Yeah. I'm not in love. I think. I think both those were in the can before Bohemian Rhapsody was recorded, sort of later in '75. But Queen, yeah, Queen had done long multi-piece, yeah. but there was a, songs before.
3: I had a feeling, or well, maybe there's another <laughs> track that was long, Macarthur Park or something. I don't know, but there was the question: How are you going to do a six-minute single? Right. And of course, Bohemian Rhapsody was really long. Yeah, but, so there's a lot of similarities there, sure. and the harmonies and all the voice sounds yeah. and everything. The studio, similarities studio based yeah, type yeah what were your
0: thoughts on I'm Not In Love Harvey what, what was
3: I thought it was the, it was astonishing mm. yeah it had atmosphere mm. and it uh, surpassed all the other tracks on the album although there were some good tracks yeah. I mean they, I think they put out Minestrone first which yeah, isn't yeah. bad.
0: <laughs> yeah, We yeah. he lo- he that one. We loved I that one. mean,
3: it's, yeah. Again, that's that was a masterpiece. But I'm not in love. Um, it just had. It was one of those records that was going to last forever. I mean, you need, it's yeah. the atmosphere in it, and mm. it's fabulous. Did, far- did you know
0: it was a classic as soon as you heard it?
3: About halfway through. Right. <laughs> then take all the about Twenty seconds. And crikey! I remember we were playing it, and the Brotherhood of Man, who were handled by Danny, the guy from the Brotherhood of Man, was in the office, and he, he listened. He says, "I've got to have that." And, the question, <laughs> like, and they did record it. Didn't but, they, well. I don't know. Did oh, they? Did they? We, I don't, we, we went out on our podcast. Oh, a little it one, oh, well, I yeah. didn't know yeah. that. I mean, that's funny because they they have to on them. <laughs>
1: It's just a
2: silly face and going through. And that's
3: happened to me a few times. I mean, I got a demo of Monday monday for yeah. Wayne Fontana. Oh yeah. And that was. And we listened, we we thought, we can't do that. It's too good. They it was the Mamas and Papas. Yeah. Yeah. It was actually a demo of theirs before no, it, they put it out. And it was for Wayne and Wayne Fontana. How can Wayne do it? How can we We would never be as good as that, which was a problem in those days. The the demos were better than the bloody records. I mean, the demo of "I'm into Something Good," and the other tracks that we had were amazing. Really, really amazing. Yeah, by by Carol King, you mean? Yeah, Carol King. Yeah, her demos were. But we we didn't. We took it off the old Gene record. Okay, that was slightly different, but the demos of Coffin King were just.
2: Yeah, incredible, and of course, Born Out. A few years down the line, when very similar sounding songs on Tapestry, which was you know mm-hmm. centered around her voice and piano, of course, fantastic. Uh, what
0: other highlights can you remember? Of, oh, we talked about "I'm Not in Love." Any other of the Ten CC records? Oh, Drummond, yeah. yeah, oh yeah, That's a big favorite.
3: Yeah, because I love Calypso anyhow. And I'm from that era where Calypso used to be huge. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I like Rochdale to Archorias, which...
0: Yeah, I'm a fan of that one.
3: Which didn't really... It it never was released as a single, and I thought it should have been, but um, I thought that might have been a hit. From Rochdale to
1: Archorias, From Archorias
3: to Dawking, From Dawking it's back to Rochdale, From Rochdale to Archorias... Um, favourite moments? Well, the favourite moments of 10cc is always going in the limo to one of the gigs. And between the four members of the band, particularly Kevin Long, the whole of the producer's script would be, would be related. Okay. They knew every line <laughs> of the producer's. Right. And we just went on and on and on and we'll come to Andrew Gold later, who was another fanatic of that. and uh, it just, it kept us going, I don't know. And in those journeys, uh, and Kevin was a fantastic mimic. He right. could do the sounds. Uh, he, he had a great, he had a great, musicians can really impersonate people because they've got the music, they can hear the sound. Yeah, they do sound.
0: Don't they, they do know? sound. Yeah. And yeah.
3: Kevin was just <laughs> spot on, you know, that, that uh, thing about uh, Kenneth Mars on the roof, you know, the, the Nazi, and Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: beautiful, few specious guys, few ember waves, so when do you win?
0: lols a great mimic as well.
2: Lowell's yeah, brilliant, puts on, puts lots, on of different put lots of wigs on, yeah, does yeah. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Like one night in Paris, they all put and um, on those wonderful sort of fantastic, you know, campy voices. Brilliant.
3: No, it's really good. That. that should be a film.
0: Oh,
2: yes. I agree. Or was... a
0: stage play. There was a talk of a stage play. Yeah, we we party to that.
3: Yeah, yeah. A one night in Paris, which is an extension of one night in Paris. But so far, it hasn't taken place. And um, like in today's market, they wanted to camp it up and have it or change for the Edinburgh Festival. Everything. I'm working on a musical at the moment with um, a girl called Barb Younger who's very talented. She's written a script called I'm Not in Love, which is really good. Mm -hmm. I'm working Mm -hmm. on that. I got a
1: tombstone (laughs) and a graveyard mind when I was.
3: because I'm Not In Love has had the kind of resurgence with Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. And um, I'm Not In Love means something in America. If you say 10cc, they probably won't know what you're talking about, but I'm Not In Love has been lots of commercials and there's a new record of it. Kelsey Lou had a record out which has been reasonably successful, and it's it's a big track.
1: I'm not in love, no more.
3: Does this
2: musical thread 10CC material together into a narrative? It's
3: really clever. I mean, she uses different songs, obscure songs, Mm -hmm. but puts them into the narrative. But, you know, musicals take three to four years to get off the ground to get it right. But this one, I've sent it to three different sources and everyone liked it. Two different theatres and one in America, and they all like it. So. I'll that is now. really That's exciting. exciting
2: we'll be watching out for that yeah. yeah um andrew gold um is it true that he, i know he was asked to join 10 cc around about the time of 10 out of 10 but as a I, producer well I, th- I thought as a full band member but i'm please correct me if i'm wrong but i, I thought i'd read that he was actually asked to join 10 cc 76, 77, just after Kevin Loll had left, or am I... Uh, is that... Can't I can't help you on that
3: one. All I know, I loved Andrew. and all, everything to do with Andrew later on.
2: I can yeah, yeah. Relates with... What a talent. Well, pr- perhaps you we can roll forward to the those... That time in the early 80s where he became involved with the band. How, how did that happen?
3: That happened because we weren't getting anywhere in America. Right. Mm-hmm. And Warner Brothers, I think, finally, we got to Warner Brothers somehow, having been on an, another label. And then they suggested Andrew Gold as a producer. The boys loved Andrew, mm. yeah. and he came over and he sang on Ready To Go Home, I think. And he said he yes. produced some tracks with them. Mm. And then Graham and he struck a friendship, and um, it, that was really close, they wrote a lot. And then they formed, well this was after 10cc, like finished, really, mm. for a while. Mm. And Wax was formed in yeah. the mid-80s. Mm. Uh, common knowledge pre that. It's a bit like Hot Legs going into 10cc. Yes. Yeah, so it's yeah. common knowledge to start with. Yeah. <coughs> thing. Well, I don't, the album did come out subsequently, mm. which was Graham and Andrew. They're very pretty songs together. Mm. Very good songs. And yet, the song that was a hit was like a gimmick again. It was Bridge to Your Heart. Yeah, uh, There think. were great tracks, like Right Between the
2: Eyes that were put out. That was a massive hit in Europe, wasn't it? it was th- in I various
3: think. places, yeah. I but think I, I, I would... mean
2: I was on holiday in Spain, and um, yeah. I New mean, Yorker or somewhere, and yeah. there was this track playing, and, and my mate said, "You know who that is, don't you?" Because <laughs> some of just didn't recognise it, and it was like, "Oh, wow, fantastic!" You know, it's 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 wax. You know, yeah. they've got a big hit out here. Um, yeah, br- brilliant, um, brilliant combination. I mean, they kept writing together for a long time, or at least the songs they'd written together kept coming out. Yeah, um, they
3: did three albums, I think.
2: Yes, and and also on. Um, and another thing, which is Graham's album from like nineteen ninety nine. Quite a few of those songs are co-writes with Andrew, and he plays on them as well. And they they, they, they've, they really make a great team. Between. They did, they did. Yeah. They were gelled beautifully, and they were very friendly. And I mean,
3: and, and Andrew was crazy as well. Yeah, so, and really? that was a, oh, ball, ball of energy they say. Crack, you know? Totally out of his mind, but loved him. It was just. I met him and he,
0: he struck mm-hmm. me as a lovely. Warm, charming, like, sensible. Bloke. So that, that really
3: no, but he is. Me. N- yes, but the other. <laughs> well, at a
0: naughty streak.
3: Well, my favourite story about <laughs> Andrew, I'll tell you. This is a very good one, I think. Uh, it was New Year's Eve, and I was. We were in Hawaii, and we were having a New Year's Eve dinner. And my friend was going to pay for the bill. Right, uh, Mickey, uh, Maxim, and uh, Andrew and his girlfriend. And myself and my wife, we were all having this meal. And when it came to ordering the wine, I, I said, well, Andrew knows a lot about wine. So they gave Andrew the wine mm-hmm. list. And or, at the end of the meal, we'd had this <laughs> wine everything. And they got to the bill. And Andrew tapped me on the shoulder when he realized that Mickey was paying for this bill. He says, Harvey, I've, I've, I've been a very naughty boy. <laughs> I said, what do you mean, Andrew? Please tell me. He said, well, the wine I got was $250 a bottle. Ooh. I said, no, you couldn't do that, Andrew. You couldn't. He says, I could. <laughs> and I did. <laughs> and my friend, t- what I must say to to his, uh, to his uh, what's the opposite of detriment, to his generosity, he just looked at the bill and he just paid it. And I was like, oh, God, no, Andrew, you couldn't. Do that, <laughs> <laughs> but that's the quirkiness, the craziness. I mean, uh, yeah. but he has it with a twinkle in his eye and mm-hmm. a naughty voice. Well, my name's Harvey Lisberg, I'm the manager of Wax LISBERG. Can I the What do you mean you don't like the mix? You're it live. This is a fantastic group.
2: I I wish Wax had played live more, actually. I went to see them in 1987. I think it was one of the first... It was at the Fairfield Halls in Croydon. Right. They'd only done a couple of gigs, and they were absolutely cracking band live. They had a lot... The two of them seemed to be really... Vibing on 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 mm. the fact they were playing together. Maybe some some of the energy that might have gone out of the yeah. 10cc later performances was like
3: back. Graham, yeah, Graham got his joy back. Yeah, he got he? his
2: mojo back. I think. Yeah, working working. Probably the him. happiest time for Graham. Right, yeah. nearly ever. Right. Okay. Yeah, I
0: mean, and to have that success as well must have been wonderful for him.
2: Yeah,
3: yeah. It was it was nice. Of course, Andrew screwed it up because. All the bands I am um, involved in, <laughs> like Kevin Noll left the band, Andrew would not go on a plane. He had a fear of flying.
2: Oh, oh really? really? So oh, that yeah. is song, Endless Flight, wasn't just a trivial thing. That was from a deep-seated <laughs> fear of so flying. So he's going to Germany
3: by train. Right. And um, you know, I mean, like <laughs> you can't you can't travel around by wow. train because it takes so long. I mean, it, we, there was an area, and it got more and more difficult. And then it would have to be Concord. and this, that, and the other. Oh my god wow. but, but that was one of his phone you know it was genuine he just didn't like flying sure they mm-hmm. so had to get drugged up and drunk or whatever to get him on the plane and yes. but it created a problem at the time because when we needed to be mobile and everything to be straightforward it couldn't yeah and there's always some quirk sure. that goes on look around
0: you and tell me what you see are you up just a moment, talking about the joy that Graham and Andrew had working together what can you tell us about the changing relationship between Graham and Eric uh, it did go sour
3: Yeah um, well that again, you know it was. I think that's kind of deep rooted I don't think that's they were in partnership for a long time in the studio and then in the band uh, you know, resentments build up you know I got on really well with Eric round about the time of the Avex album, because that kind of resurrected everything, which was fantastic, but there was still a, not a good feeling between Eric and Graham, so we're kind of recording the album, half was doing one and half the other. The critics tore it to pieces and everybody went ballistic. Eric was over the moon, because it was, and it was like, it was like um it was one of the best things I'd ever done probably as far as the finance was concerned because from nowhere they got like, I don't know what they got I'm talking hundreds of thousands of pounds from nowhere mm. from
2: uh, you know From Japan? I- Sorry, yes. so was it This was the album Mirror Mirror yeah. oh, Right okay, the, the last T C album yeah. basically yeah 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 i mean sadly you can you can even a casual listener can tell it's either an eric track or a graham track and going back um, to your question i think
3: there's always been a tension between the two of them there's a kind of um a resentment both ways i mean one will think the other's crazy and the other one will think well he can't write he can write he shouldn't you know there's always this crap goes on between people i mean it's just a shame I found a happier but drinking for the
1: world is no solution
0: And Eric seems very bitter about Graham
2: well, he seems to resent the fact he's still touring as 10 yeah. I, I can't see a problem with that.
3: Well, the problem was, when it started, I tried to get Eric to agree to take a percentage. Right. I said, my, my idea, which was totally my idea, was nothing to, I mean, I bear responsibility, probably why Eric doesn't allow me at all because of this, but my idea was, I, people go and see Gilbert and Sullivan music. Mm -hmm. They've been dead for a hundred years, but people go and see the music. So why won't they go and see 10cc music? Why does it have to be a tribute band if one of the band is prepared to play it? Mm -hmm. I mean, that was my idea. That was, and I said to Eric, look, take a percentage of every night. Just get a percentage for allowing it to happen, rather than have this built up bitterness, which goes on and on. Because the more 10CC, uh, 10cc goes on, the more Bitterness there will be and it goes back to the Kevin Lost because I was reading about I just read about that You know the, the history of 10cc. I was reading the books to refresh my memory And at the time it was was it 5cc? What should happen? It's wrong 10cc should be the 4 original you know <laughs> If the choice is that their music never gets played again <laughs> Or you have a five cc or you have a tribute band i'd rather have the five cc yes. and when it came to two and a half cc yeah i mean it's not ideal so what i but said to the music's, graham the music's still being well nerd, because though. we're using the same people rick mm-hmm. fans the same person yep. paul Birch is the same yeah. people everybody else that replaced everybody else was proficient musically
2: yep.
3: that they never were a great visual act in the first place no. Yeah. So that wasn't a problem. Mm. And the last gig I saw of 10cc, I think it was at Derby, was the best I've possibly ever seen. Mm. A really fantastic.
0: It's quite a show now, isn't it? They had a really guy is. called
3: Paul on that I hadn't seen before. He was just amazing. I mean, it was an amazing show, and uh, they're doing very well. Say the word, say the word.
0: a relationship with Kevin Lowell
3: these days. Yeah. I speak to Lowell regularly. Kevin lives in in Dublin. Yeah. Um, no Lowless but Lowell's been really nice. It's very I went to see Lowell the other oh, yeah, day. You went to you went to see the pretty,
2: yeah. the uh, gig at the Bridge of Waters, didn't yeah. It was oh, really was it good. Yeah. It was a good sh- did you see it? No I should we, have both, gone. we both
0: missed out we were kicking the there. it
2: was really yeah. good
3: It I mean, a good show that I was I thought, I was going, in, oh God, this this isn't going to be very good. Yeah. But it really was good. It was astonishingly good. And uh, it wasn't really attended as well as it should have been. And it probably wasn't very oh, economical. Man. you mean I on. could have
2: just turned up on the night and gone. I yeah, think, oh, yeah, I got it all right. Oh. But, um,
3: unfortunately, here in are as friendly as they used to be, mm-hmm. there was some kind of split there. Yes. Which after 27 years is again incredible but you know is there
0: any sign of you know melting of the ice there I I don't
3: I don't I don't know I've no idea as I say I've not I don't might speak to Kevin once a year so I wouldn't know I, I don't know I don't know why these things happen but
2: I mean they do we're very grateful for you spending all this time with us, Harvey. We has um, we, 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 we could carry on talking for days, but, <laughs> but we recognise you've, you've got a, a schedule and you need to do some other things. Um, so uh, on behalf of ourselves and our listeners, thank you very much for you, uh, joining us for the podcast.
3: Thank you. Good luck with your project.
0: been listening to the consequences podcast produced by paul mcnulty and sean McCreevy. thanks for listening